to start thinking about living on another planet. There's so many issues in this city. Social or public. Or, or how people engage with each other. We're all incredibly time poor. We're all incredibly connected. Create a better built environment. To create the world's best places, places people love. The Hassle Talks. This is Hassle Talks. The Hassle Talks. Hi, you're listening to Hassle Talks. Manoa mai te mauri rangi, manoa mai te mauri noku, ko te mauri kaiau he mauri tipua. Ka pakaru mai te pō, tau mai te mauri, haumi e, hui e, taeki e. Hi, you're listening to Hassle Talks. When place and meaning are so important in the built environment, how can designers support a deep understanding and respect for local Indigenous culture? What are the experiences of Indigenous designers in practice? And how can non-Indigenous designers engage in a culture they may not understand? I'm Matt Watson. You're about to hear an excerpt from a conversation we hosted in our Melbourne studio with Indigenous designers and consultants from Australia and Aotearoa New Zealand to help us understand ways we can aim for better outcomes for our Indigenous communities and practitioners. But first, I acknowledge the Wurundjeri people who are the traditional caretakers of the country that Melbourne Studio sits on, acknowledging their elders past, present and emerging. One of our guests, Sarah Lynn Rees, is a Palawa Plunga Maranea woman from northeast Tasmania. She's a graduate of architecture at Jackson Clement Burroughs, alongside roles with the National Trust and M Pavilion here in Melbourne. I asked Sarah about Indigenous representation in the Australian design industry and the experiences of Indigenous designers, both at uni and out in practice. I mean, there are only eight registered Indigenous architects in Australia. There's probably about 20 people practising. Every single one of those people is involved in something that is trying to build knowledge and build capacity amongst our, I guess, the profession as a whole. Every opportunity that I've ever been afforded, um, and I've been incredibly lucky, has been because someone has come to me and said, oh, you could do this. And someone believed in me before I believed in myself. Um, And so that really needs to be embedded in the way that all stages of our education system work. Any, anything you can do before university, great, but from university, indigenising our education system uh, so that when our young students walk into that university, they don't feel like they have to leave their culture at the door. They feel like they're represented. They feel like they can have critical debate about the topics um, that they're presenting in their studios. They feel like there's actually a nuanced understanding of the country that they're on. There's the presence of elders. There's faces that they recognise and can see themselves in. Uh, Without any of those things, then our young students are not going to feel safe. They're not going to feel... They're going to feel like they're hitting themselves against a brick wall constantly because they're going to exactly give. They're going to give as much as they can and they're going to get nothing in return. Carl Vanderkype is a Warramai and Ewan man from New South Wales. He's the Indigenous Engagement Manager for Australian firm Scavello. He also leads the Scavello Gangbu program, helping increase direct Indigenous employment and participation across his workforce. At the beginning of our chat, we spoke about the importance of identity to Indigenous designers. Yeah, um, yeah part of my role has been to recruit young, young people into Scavello and, and open up opportunities in apprenticeships and employment um, but also uh, one of the rewarding parts I've had is doing some cultural awareness sessions and I've been able to deliver that to staff across the country. But they've been very, very rewarding sessions. I say at the start, I'm not going to cover all the Aboriginal history and culture in, in an hour. Um, if we had four days, I might just scratch the surface, but I'm introducing this to you and I, 
you know, I, I wanted to give you some tools to understand why why we're at this point or why I'm employed um, at Scavello. So it's sort of been uh, a gift that I've actually been able to meet elders along my journey from being a young person who was trying to find my identity, trying to sort of build that self-esteem up that to be Indigenous is not going to be a disadvantage, it's going to be an advantage but you've got to use it and that that was sort of messages that I got from elders all the way through my upbringing and I remember one of our last um, Wurundjeri queens, they called her, um, Arnie Winnie, she, she said, Kyle, you, you will feel it on the inside, you, you'll feel it, don't worry about how much knowledge you, you have at the moment or how much you're going to have in the future, but you'll feel it in your heart. New Zealand designer Elizabeth Hitter was also on the panel. I invited Elizabeth to talk about what the New Zealand experience can teach us about the value of partnerships with First Peoples for better design outcomes. Elizabeth is well placed to comment. She's on the board of the New Zealand Institute of Architects as a representative of Ngaaho, Aotearoa's national network of Māori design professionals. At Jazzmax, she co-founded Wakamaya, a group to embed a Māori perspective into the firm's process and projects, and to drive its commitment towards being a bicultural practice. The change that Elizabeth and her colleagues have achieved in New Zealand is astonishing. I asked her to share what that engagement looked like in practice. So part of the IP, I suppose, that Jazzmax has developed and currently holds that sits with Wakamaya is the fact that we have developed a kind of a process. And effectively, the sum total of that is it's really good. It's a good ethical process. It comes from a te ao Māori um, worldview or point of view. And a lot of that is really about intrinsic understanding that we have as uh, Māori people to... Uh, navigate both a Māori worldview and a, and a Pākehā or a non-Māori perspective at all times. Um, and part of the challenge now is teaching our non-Māori um, you know, people in Aotearoa how to also navigate backwards and forwards, and that's turning into an interesting challenge. That process um, talks about a whole lot of things. It's a lot of basic things like making sure that you are engaging with the right people for starters, remunerating people, but I don't mean by money, so that's the wrong word. The word I want to use is koha. It's a Māori word that talks about reciprocity. Um, it talks about exchange. It means that when you are bringing Māori people to the table to ask them questions about their histories and their narratives, you're not just taking from them, you are also finding ways to give back. Um, it could be monetarily, but it could be a whole lot of other things. It also means that we use our tikanga, or our protocols, from a Māori perspective to help enable trusting environments. Um, what that means is that, well, some simple things, actually. Things like starting meetings with karakia, hui, to clear the air, um, giving our uh, mana whenua, the people around the table, um, the opportunity to kōrero, um, so speak te reo Māori, speak our language, to be able to say their piece. And a lot of the time that means airing their grievances in a safe and comfortable environment. Um, and that's not always easy for our project teams when they think they're there to design a bus station, but they find out they're there to hear about land claims from, like, you know, 1930. Um, but that's actually a part of the process. It's about, it's a lot to do with cultural safety. The landscape surrounding Perth's Optus Stadium was designed by Hassel to be a captivating year-round destination. 
the strength of the team's Indigenous engagement process resulted in 41 hectares of landscape for visitors to immerse themselves in nature and connect with local Indigenous culture. Landscape architect Nick Pearson led the Hassle team on the Parklands project. I asked him to reflect on the process the team took with Indigenous engagement and why process can be more important than project. I, th- I was reflecting on it last night, reflecting on Perth Stadium um, and why that worked and why other projects hadn't worked. And it wasn't, it wasn't about the project type, it wasn't about the size of the project, it wasn't about the budget or the scale, it was the process. Um, and on reflection, there's, there's certain ingredients that are, are necessary for success. And one is time, time to build trust, to, to allow that trust to um, manifest into, you know, really good conversation where cultural exchange happens. Um, and not just where we take, but we give and we share. Um, and that, that cultural exchange was really important. But it was also... Um, the authority for people to speak. So on the Perth Stadium, um, there was a terms of reference drawn up, which was that formal engagement system, but there was a long process to actually get the right people within the Wajuk Working Party. Um, so there was four members appointed to that. Those four members represented all of the 16 apical ancestors, so all of the family groups within Wajuk were represented amongst those four people. Um, so they had the power to, to share stories. Um, Sometimes in workshops they would go, we really want to tell you this but we need to, we need to refer to elders to, to get permission and then the following workshop they would share those stories. So it was a really positive process and we had a really good champion within that Wajuk Working Party. Um, one of the moments that I cherished the most through the Indigenous engagement on, on the Perth Stadium project was actually once we built that trust and the conversations that happened and... One of the members of the um, Wajak Working Party actually shared the creation story um, with us, their creation story, and told it in the in the most beautiful way with these really fantastic hand gestures. And there was a couple of of, us, of the design team there, and we just all, both looked at each other and just went, "Okay, when we go back inside, you're going to tell that again to the the wider group." And he told it again, and from that, a whole a whole series of kind of um, further conversations transpired and that became the, um, the narrative for the, for the, the arbour to, to um, articulate spirit. And so that would have never happened if we didn't have trust and it never happened in a formal conversation process. Sarah Lynn Reese. I mean, how does any project ever come into realisation it goes through a process? It's just that we've normalised our understanding of what the architecture process is and working with communities with, with their own protocols and their processes and embedding them into ours is not something that at least Australia has achieved yet. Um, and so, yeah, we focus on process a lot because that's the bit that needs to change, the procurement process, the design process, and then the process of engagement post the project finishing. All of those things need to be embedded with the local understanding of protocols, of behaviour, um, of socio-political context in order for them to be enacted and created in an appropriate way. Alyssa Peterheta. One of the reasons why um, there is a another process you have to consider that isn't just the you know concept and prelim and that process is because you need to build trust and you need to get your team comfortable with the idea that trust is going to take time and. Um, 
and that time sometimes doesn't fit within your traditional model of, of you know, your Gantt chart. It's, it's, really, it's really because you have to find a way to enable that safety. And um, I, th- I think that's partly some of the success of what Wakamai has been able to do is um, establish and maintain long-term relationships that extend well beyond projects. We're, we're in communities where, as we like to say, you know, we're out the back with the tea towel doing the dishes and literally sometimes I am out the back doing the dishes and that's because I'm I'm not building relationships to make good architecture, I'm building relationships to have good relationships with people and the good architecture, the really good built outcomes is actually just a wonderful consequence of that. With all this context in mind, I asked the group what they hoped could be achieved in the next 12 months. Nick Pearson. Uh, from my perspective, I guess as a practitioner in South Australia, I'd love to see in a year's time that the South Australian government is starting to write you know, Indigenous engagement into briefs, starting to set up the procurement process to provide that time, that time for the engagement to, to build trust and report currently doesn't happen. Carl Vanderkite. Yeah, just, just the face of um, our communities change in, in buildings and in design and, and, and have it come from them what they want. Um, not the three-bedroom house that's a box, you know, what, there could be something different. Elisa Peter. Uh, Indigenous people have a tendency to think about things in 500-year plans, not really one to five to ten. If we could get a few more students through the doors of practices, if we could, yeah, tell our stories, if we could continue to have these conversations, because I think we've got a lot to learn and share, and I'm pretty sure in this, you know, 60,000-year history, we've... Uh, We've, we've done a bit of sharing. Sarah? I would like to see the stories of projects told from the beginning by architects sharing the voice with traditional owners about how projects that are perhaps more appropriately conducted have come to life and being honest about what worked and what didn't work and that being shared with the architecture community so everybody can learn. We tend to gatekeep knowledge within the profession. We all tend to try and um, have our own processes that we don't share with anyone else because that makes it competitive. But in this particular sector, I don't think we can afford to do that. I think everybody needs to share what they've learnt so that everybody else can benefit from it. Enormous thanks to Sarah, Elisa Peter, Kyle and Nick for sharing their experiences and stories with us with trust and openness in this forum. This is Hassel Talks. I'm Matt Watson. Thanks for listening.